phrase in the form of a new word or a new phrase. For instance, if you take the word dormitory, rearrange the letters in the word dormitory, you come up with dirty room. And if you've ever been to college, you know that's appropriate, amen? Uh, the phrase, the Morse code, rearrange the letters, you come up with, here come dots. Desperation becomes, or rope ends it. I'm not sure about this one, preacher. Evangelist becomes evil's agent. I'm not sure if I like that one a lot. Now here's one that is appropriate, okay? Slot machines. Take the phrase slot machines, rearrange the letters, and you get lost cash in them. The decimal point becomes, I'm a dot in place. Now here's one that to me is amazing. 11 plus 1, what would be the sum? 13, okay. Rearrange the letters in the phrase 11 plus 1, you come up with 12 plus 2, and the sum is still, or excuse me, 12 plus 1, and the sum is still 13. I'm going to go back to it. I say that right? 11 plus 2. What's the sum 11 plus 2? 13. Rearrange the phrase, you get 12 plus 1, and the sum is still 13. Now here's everyone's favorite, mother-in-law. Rearrange the letters in the word mother-in-law, and you come up with... And we will move on. There might be some other laws in the crowd, so we'll move on rapidly, okay? Before we get started on a message this morning, I want to preach to believers this morning, but let me just take a moment and introduce a special friend. Every place I go, the kids always enjoy this, and I found out the kids, big kids usually enjoy them too. His name is Andy. He lives in that box right over there. And if you bear with us just for a couple minutes, I want to introduce Andy and we get, let you get to know him. We're just for a moment here. Ready? Mm-hmm. Come on in. Oh, my. You think glad to be here this morning? Say amen. Amen. Where are we? What? Where are we? Where do you think we are? I have no idea. Look around you. Look at all those smiling faces. Does that tell you anything? Yeah, I think they're at the zoo. <laughs> this, this is my friend Andy. You listen to Andy saying, hold it, hold it. What's the matter? Who's that old man? What old man? The old geese in the second row. <laughs> That's Pastor O'Donnell. He's the pastor of this church. How old is he? I don't know, but that's none of your business. Looks like he's been in business for a long time. <laughs> Pastor's not that old. He looks that old. Don't say that. He looks that wrinkled. Don't say that either. <laughs> How old is he? I suppose he's around 40. <laughs> if he's around 40, it's the second time around. <laughs> and, <laughs> Pastor, can I ask you a question? Was you let Noah on the ark? Then how come he didn't drown? Andy, Andy, Andy. Leave Pastor alone. Just sing your... Is that Phil Harris? You know Phil Harris? Good to see you, sir. Where do you know Brother Phil from? Brother Phil, Keith. Brother Keith. Where do you know Brother Keith from? He's the one that taught me how to count. Brother Keith taught you how to count? Sure did. This is our first time here, Andy. We've just been here a short while. How did he do it? I've been trying for years to teach him how to count. He used visual aids. Visual aids? Uh-huh. Flashcards. Really, he taught you to count with flashcards. Yes, sir. Well, demonstrate for us. Do what? Count the way the brother Keith taught you how to count. Oh, that's easy. Well, do it for us. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Jack, clean, king. <laughs> that's how they do it. Ain't that the Harris? Every Saturday night, he just counts and counts and counts. And sing your song, please. Go sit down. What? Go sit down. Can't you hear? I want you to sing the song. Go sit down. What are you going to do if I go sit down? I'm going to sing the song. I'll help you if you don't mind. I can handle it. Go sit down. 
<laughs> Andy, I think you need your, my help. Hey, well, let's try it on the, on the pulpit. Let me get a little more level. Uh, sit right there. Go sit down. And you're going to sing the song by yourself. I can handle it. Go sit down. Okay, we're going to try something new. Andy's going to sing the song by himself, and let's just see if this works. Go for it, Andy. Now, we could wait all morning long, and Andy's not going to sing a thing, is he? He can't. He's made of wood. He's made of cloth. He can't move. He can't sing. He can't talk. He can't do anything unless I'm there to help him. Remember what Jesus told us in John 15, 5? Without me, ye can do nothing. The cry of our heart should be, Lord, I need you, shouldn't it? As the song saying, as we sang. Don't try to live the Christian life in your own strength. Don't try to minister to others in your own strength, your own wisdom, your own experience. Don't try to live a life of victory, fight temptation in your own strength. You will fail. You will fall. And I've been there too. Haven't we? We've all been there, haven't we? Jesus said, abide in me. If I step close to Andy, put my hand inside him, give him a voice, he can do all sorts of things. What happened? Did I fall asleep? No, you didn't fall asleep, but you needed me help on the song. Tell you what, we'll probably have time to get you out tonight. We'll have a lot more time tonight. And let's just sing tonight, okay? Would you folks tell Andy goodbye, please? Bye. Would you tell the folks goodbye? Huh? Tell the people goodbye, please. Where are they going? <laughs> They're not going anywhere. You're the, you're the one that's going. Huh? You have to get back in the suitcase. Again? Come on, say goodbye. I don't want to go. You are going to go. I ain't going to go. What do you think you're going to do? I'm going to sit with Dean. You, know, I, <laughs> you are not going to sit with Dean. And why not? It's just not a very good place for a dummy to sit. Then why is he sitting there? And Andy. Andy, Andy. Sorry, Dean. Okay, Andy, thank you. <laughs> Plan to be here tonight. I think we'll have some fun together. We'll enjoy some things together and get into God's Word again. Plan to be here tonight. You're in Psalm 19. We'll go there in just a moment. First of all, let me share something with you. I want to show you a picture that once you see it and realize what it is, it's actually quite terrifying. This is the tornado that hit my town of Ringgold a year ago, April. My daughter's uh, friend actually took this picture on her cell phone, if you can imagine. The tornado touched down in Ringgold on Wednesday evening, just before time for church, obliterated a gas station, da- badly damaged McDonald's, took out some hotels, went up in the air, came down on, on Cherokee Valley Road and destroyed some homes and killed eight people unexpectedly. Lifted up in the air, went over our subdivision, well, even touching our subdivision, t- touched down in Appleton, Tennessee, did some more damage but didn't kill anybody else. But in Ringgold, it killed eight people unexpectedly. Now, death quite often comes suddenly, doesn't it? Especially for young people. Sometimes older people have a progressive disease. They know that death is coming over a period of time. But usually when young people die, it's unexpectedly suddenly, isn't it? We need to be ready. One night I heard a man say, getting saved is as simple as ABC. And I thought about that. I thought we could take those three letters, ABC, let them stand for the three things from God's word that a person needs to know and believe to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. A stands for the word admit. Would you say it with me? Admit that you are a sinner. Again, admit that you are a sinner. We don't like to admit that, do we? As Americans, we think, hey, I'm a good person, I'm a moral person. God says we're sinners. We do wrong, don't we? We don't deserve heaven. In fact, John chapter 3 tells us we're condemned to hell until we receive Jesus. Here's a verse that you know by heart, Romans 3.23. Say it with me, if you would, please. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So again, the A, admit that you are a sinner. B stands for believe. Would you say it with me? Believe that Jesus died for you. The Lord Jesus Christ loves people. Amen? P 
people like us. Even though you and I are sinners and don't deserve heaven, we don't deserve to be with Him, He loves us and He wants us there. That's why He died on the cross. That's why He shed His blood. And what happened three days and three nights later? He arose from the grave and He's alive this morning. I love the verse, Romans 5, 8. Say the verse with me, if you would please, together. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. So again, the B, believe that Jesus died for you. Our next letter is C. C stands for the word call. Would you say it with me? Call on Jesus to save you. There's a very special promise in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. When you find a promise in the Bible, you can trust that promise. Amen? It came from God. God keeps every promise. He never breaks a promise. He never forgets a promise. He keeps his promises. Here's the promise. Say it with me, if you would, please. Together. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. What's the second word in the verse? Who is that? Anybody and everybody. If you're here this morning, you're a living, breathing human being. You're whosoever. This promise is for you. Now notice what God says. He doesn't say might be saved. He did not even say probably. What did he say? That's a good tight promise, isn't it? Can a person get saved and know for sure they're saved? I've had numerous people tell me, sir, you can't really know that. Nobody can know that. Oh, yes, you can if you base your assurance on the promise of God's word because God keeps that promise. Say the whole promise again. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. So again, if you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus, you're not ready for death to come. Here's how to do that. Receive him as your Savior. A, admit to God that you're a sinner. The Bible says repent. Ask God to turn you from your sin. Ask for his forgiveness. B, believe that Jesus loved you, shed his blood on the cross for you, died in your place, and rose again the third day. If you believe that, say amen. amen. He did that for us. See, call on Jesus. He's already promised. He'll forgive your sins, give the gift of eternal life. When that tornado came through Ringgold, it was totally unexpected. There were tornadoes hitting down in, in Alabama, and those had been predicted. We knew about those. I don't think the weather service said one word about a tornado hitting us. But boy, it came, and eight people died suddenly. We need to be ready, don't we? If you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus. I think Pastor will give an invitation at the end of this service, an opportunity for you, for you to put your faith in Christ, and a counselor can show you again how to do that. So go with me to Psalm 19, if you would. I want to look at the last verse in the, in the chapter there, in the psalm there. Would you stand with me? Let's read that verse together. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Verse 14, together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. A very key verse, a very important verse. Read it with me a second time, if you would please. Together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Thank you. Would you be seated, please? Would you right now, just in this quiet moment, just bow your head and bow your heart before the Lord? Simply open your heart to the Holy Spirit of God. Ask Him to speak to your heart in a very direct way, if you would. Ask God to speak to you. Father, it is a privilege for me to stand before these folks and to share your word. And I thank you for that privilege. I would ask, Lord God, that you'd fill me with your power, with your spirit. Lord, I do gladly acknowledge that without you I can do nothing. And I, I ask you to work through me today. Take this simple message and burn it to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When God created you and God created me, he gave each of us this very special gift that he gave to none of the animals. 
You know what it is? You say, well, Brother Ed, we have an eternal soul. Animals don't have that. That's true. That's not what we're talking about. You say, Brother Ed, we have a spirit. We have a God consciousness. We can communicate with God. God can communicate with us. That's true, but that's not what we're talking about. There's a very special gift that God gave to us. We use it every day of our lives, and typically we take it for granted. We don't even think about the fact that it came from God. What gift is that? The gift of speech. The ability to talk with language, with, with words, is the ability that came from God. And we use, it, we use it without even thinking about that, do we? Several years ago, my sons and I got certified for scuba diving. The first thing you learn about scuba when you're underwater, you can't talk. You have a regulator in your mouth. You take the regulator out to talk, you can't breathe. I would rather breathe than talk, amen? If you do take the regulator out and try to talk, you get bubbles, you get strange sounds, but you simply cannot talk when you're underwater. Perhaps that's why that's not, there's not that many female scuba divers. Um, oh, just kidding, ladies, just kidding. Let's move on. Pass on that one, okay? <laughs> but when you come up from a dive, the first thing you do is grab that regular out. You start talking and talking. Did you see the octopus? What was that one thing that was kind of green? And you just talk and talk and talk. Steve, my son, and I were down in the Cayman Islands. We were doing a meeting in the islands there. And real good response from the island kids and the island parents, too. It was really neat. But we went diving every afternoon. And we just came up from a dive. We grabbed the regulars out. We're talking and, and bobbing in the surf. They're just talking and talking. I thought, life would be really awkward without the gift of speech. And just for a moment, I don't do this to be funny, but just for a moment, let me show you what life would be like without that gift called the gift of speech. But read the verse with me one more time, please. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Just for a moment, I want to try to demonstrate what life would be like without the gift of speech. Pastor, you're a good communicator. Would you come and help me out, please? Where's Brother Daniel? Brother Daniel, would you come help? Where is Brother Daniel? He's not in here. Would you choose a man who's a good communicator, sir? brother right here. Come on up. He can talk, let me tell you. <laughs> okay, your name, sir? Andrew. Andrew. Can brother Andrew come up here with Pastor, if you would, please? And who's the best communicator here? Tell what, Pastor, would you turn and face the wall just for a second, if you would? Brother Andrew, I'm going to take away your gift of speech. You can't talk. You can point, you can gesture, okay? But you're going to ask Pastor this, this question without the gift of speech. Okay? Pastor, you still have your gift of speech. Andrew has something he wants to ask you, but he's going to ask you without the gift of speech. Let's see how he does. Okay, freeze, freeze. Wouldn't life be awkward this way? Andrew, let's give you back your gift of speech. You can just go ahead and ask him the question. Now, <laughs> let's reverse the roles. Brother Andrew, if you'll turn and face the wall for just a second. Pastor, this is your turn. Without the gift of speech, you're going to try to communicate this idea to Andrew without the gift of speech. Okay, Brother Andrew, you're going to turn around. Uh, Pastor, I have something he wants to ask you. Freeze, freeze, freeze. <laughs> Would not life be awkward this way? Aren't you thankful for the gift of speech? Give both these men a round of applause for you. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate your help. 
What we want to do this morning briefly is go to the negative first. I want to show you some things that we must not do with this gift of speech. We want to remember that this gift of speech came from God. We want to use it in a way that honors Him, not a way that dishonors Him. Let's look at the negative, then we'll go to the positive. Read the verse with me if you would. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Exodus 27. What's the first thing we must not do with this gift of speech? We must not use it to take God's name in vain. God's name is sacred, amen? God's name is holy, amen? God's name must be reverenced. Now, in our ministry, we do a lot of visitation. You want to do a crusade, I visit usually every Monday afternoon, every Tuesday afternoon. I take balloons on the street. I take a couple squirting nickels we squirt people with. But I have a, a little device called a malgoon. It's a trick. It's a little cage, 14 inches long, 10 inches wide. One half is screen, one half is solid. And when my victim is thrashing on the screen, waiting for this little animal to come out, I release a gate hook. The top comes flying open, and a piece of fake fur, three inches wide and about four feet long, comes springing out and lands on your shoulder. It'll stop your heart for about three seconds, okay? <laughs> and I have done it on, on the front porches of thousands and thousands of total strangers. And you know what three words invariably come out of the mouth of a person when they're caught off guard? And I say this carefully, regretfully. Oh, my God. What bothers me? I can be doing that in a fundamental Baptist church just like yours and do it to a Sunday school teacher, the pastor's wife, or a deacon. Here's a child of God, and many times when they're caught off guard for a moment, the same three words come out of the mouth of a believer. There's a pastor in, in, close to me that I, I have a crusade with him every two years, and he's a godly man. He loves the Lord, and we enjoy being around him. And I'll go visiting with him, and when we're visiting all afternoon long, I'll hear, Oh, my Lord, good Lord, there's an Italy. And we say, Lordy, Lordy. And one afternoon I said, Pastor, I hate to have people hear, God, hear people take God's name in vain. You know what he said? He said, oh, I, I hate that too. I despise that. He was not even aware of the fact that he was doing that. What is your name, sir? Matt? Matt, I want to give you a brand new car. How old are you, sir? 17. 17. Are you ready for a brand new car? Now let's dream big here. Foreign, domestic, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to pay the, the bill for this. In fact, I'll pay for the gas, the maintenance, and I'll pay for the insurance because the young driver, they just kill the young drivers on the insurance. What would you go for if you could have any car in the world? What was it? A Subaru. A Subaru. You're not going to dream bigger than that? Lamborghini, Ferrari. Okay, we're going for a Subaru. What color, sir? Okay, we're going to buy a brand new red Subaru for Matt. Now, he takes delivery of the Subaru. He's been driving for a couple weeks, and he's at Walmart. He's driving across the parking lot of Walmart, just enjoying this brand new Subaru. And he says, oh, there's Brother Ed, the man that got me this car. And folks, you won't believe what he does next. He comes driving across the parking lot at Walmart, and with a brand new Subaru that I purchased for him, he deliberately runs me over with it. <laughs> you say, he would never do that. That would be a travesty. How can we take the gift of speech that came from God and use it to curse the name of the, man who gave, the one who gave us the gift? That's a travesty, isn't it? And folks, I understand that I'm preaching to my brothers and sisters. I understand that I'm preaching to believers. But today I'm hearing believers that are so flippant and so casual and so loose with God's name. And I hear young people that are talking just like the world. And folks, half the vocabulary that the world around us uses is not for believers. There's so many vulgar words and wrong words and slang words that, that the, the world are using. And I hear the, the believers using that too. The gift came from God, Amen. Could I challenge you this morning to ask God to set a watch before your lips that you would never use that gift to dishonor his name in this way. We must not use it to take God's name in vain. Here's the second thing. We're going to the negative. Read this verse with me if you would. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, 
But they that deal truly are his delight. Proverbs 12, 22. What is the second thing we must not do? Number one, we must not use this gift to take God's name in vain. Number two, we must not use it to tell a lie. Now, I'm just old enough. When I was a kid, even most unbelievers, unsaved people, were careful to tell the truth. Back when I was a kid, you did not want to be known as a liar. Matter of fact, they had an expression back in those days, a man's word is his bond. Back in the old days, if I was going to sell a house, Andrew, right? If I was going to sell my house to Andrew, how do we close the deal in the old days? A handshake, that's all it took. Andrew, I'm selling you my house for $14,000. I'll be out in 13 to 30 days. Is that agreed? Yeah. And I just sold my house, 14000 Now, two hours later, pastor comes up and offers me 16000 for the very same house. And I don't really have a contract with Andrew, do I? Yes, I do. I gave that man my word. And folks, in the old days, believers or unbelievers, if you shook your hand with a man and gave him his, your, your word, you kept his, that word no matter what it took. You would keep your word because you did not want to be known as a person that lacked integrity. Boy, those days are gone, aren't they? You go to the mall... You walk out of a clothing store, department store, and as you, walk, as you exit that store, you pass between those shiny chrome loops. And what are those? Anti-theft devices. You know what bothers me? The last few years, I've noticed the same anti-theft devices on the front doors of the Christian bookstores. Think it through. What does it tell us? Apparently, in today's society, even believers are now stealing shoplifting. Folks, should I challenge you? You're a child of God. You, you represent Jesus Christ to a lost world. Could I challenge you? Say, Lord, help me to be a person of integrity that will always be honest in my dealings, that will always tell the truth, that will never use this gift of speech to deceive. And I'm going to try to show you how important this really is. I was down in Florida. I want to mention the town. Calvary Baptist Church, an independent Baptist church just like yours. They run three buses. We have crusades there every couple of years. And just a, just a dynamite ministry. I enjoy it thoroughly. One afternoon, I was out knocking on doors. I was by myself, couldn't get a man from the church to go with me. So I was by myself. Knocked on this one man's door. He came out of his porch. I said, sir, I'm from Calvary Baptist Church. We're having... He said, hold it right there, buddy. I would not go to that church. That was the, church, the last church on the face of this earth. And he walked in and started closing the door. I said, wait, sir, wait. He opened the door again and said, sir, would you mind telling me, why would you not come to Calvary Baptist Church? He opened the door wider, stepped on the porch. He said, I'll tell you. He said, three different times I've had business dealings with people from your church, and all three times your people d lied to me. They tried to cheat me. If that's what you have, I want nothing to do with that. And he walked in and closed his door. Now, folks, I believe I was talking with a lost man. And if a man or a woman who knows the Lord tries to witness to that man, he's ready to reject the message. Because three different times he's dealt with, with believers who are not pe people of integrity. I want to remind you that as believers, as Christians, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost world. We have to be people of integrity, don't we? Here's another verse. Read it with me if you would. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. James 4.11. The third thing we must not do with this gift of speech, we must not use it to hurt someone else. Now, that's done so easily, isn't it? Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. When I was in eighth grade, back in public school, my parents put us back in public school just for that one year because of finances. But in eighth grade, my favorite class was called shop. Last period of the day. Woodworking, metalworking, drafting. What an awesome class that was. Could have gone all day long. I, I would have loved that class all day long. I mean, it's just an awesome class. Mr. Greenhagen was our teacher. One day, Mr. Greenhagen showed us a movie called Primitive Pete. 
Pete was a caveman, lived in a little cave, had little primitive tools, and they showed us a movie just to show us the importance of using tools correctly. The lights came back on, Mr. Greenhagen said, okay guys, class dismissed, and we walked out of class. Now in eighth grade, I probably weighed 95 pounds. I've never been a really big guy, okay? But I walked out of class that day, squeezed through the door, beside a great big hulk of a guy named Brian Callahan. Brian Callahan in eighth grade was six foot four, 220 pounds, just a mammoth guy, huge guy. Did you ever say something dumb and then think about it later? It starts in junior high and continues the rest of your life, right? Okay. But I said something silly, just, just foolish, just to get a laugh from the other guys in the class. I said, hey guys, this isn't Brian Callahan, this is Caveman Callahan. And everybody laughed. But guess what the guys in my class called Brian for the rest of the school year? He was no longer Brian. He was Caveman. I went to him about three weeks later and said, Brian, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to start this. I just wasn't thinking. He said, don't worry about it. But for the rest of the school year, he was no longer Brian. He was Caveman. Without really meaning to, I'd use my gift of speech to hurt somebody else. Would you ask God to set a watch before your lips? Words are vicious, aren't they? They can be used to encourage and lift and edify a person, but they can be so easily used to tear somebody down. Sir, how do you address your wife? I see so many men that are mean to their wives and cruel to their wives and cutting, and that wife is just withering under that verbal assault, and we think, oh, it's just words. No, you're destroying her, sir. Sometimes we have a sharp tone moment as well, don't we? And I can see women that just turn on their husband. I'm saying this, ask God to, to help you to guard your tongue. Parents. You see, my, my kid's tough, man. He's a senior in high school. He plays football. He's not as tough as you think, you are, think he is. And a word from you, Dad, sometimes can devastate that young man. Years ago, there was a man in Phoenix, or not Phoenix, Chattanooga, who was burning churches. He was very ecumenical. He burned several Baptist churches, burned a Catholic church, burned a Lutheran church. He didn't care. Moved down to Florida, burned several churches, came back to, to Chattanooga and started burning churches again. We finally caught the guy. As it turned out, though, he wasn't really burning churches. He was burning the... Buildings. There's a difference, isn't there? You know, if the devil wanted to come in here and destroy this church, and he does, he probably would not use a firebomb, but he could use a telephone, a telephone, couldn't he? I'm saying this, your words are powerful, and usually we don't really realize the extent of our words, the impact of our words. We really don't really realize how powerful those words really are. James said, guard your tongue. He said, it's a fire. It's a fire that can be used to cook the food and, and heat your home. It can be used for positive things. But you let that tongue get out of control. You let that fire get out of control, and you burn the house down, don't you? I'm saying this. Ask God to set a watch before your lips that you would not use your gift of speech to hurt somebody else and dishonor your Lord in that way. Very quickly, here's the fourth one. Read the verse with me, if you would. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. What's the fourth thing? We must not do this gift of speech. We must not use this gift to complain. Now, we're Americans, amen? We've been blessed, amen? Have you not been blessed? As Americans, we have been blessed more than any other people on the face of this earth. God has given us far more than we, have, than we can imagine, far more than we deserve. And as a result of being so blessed, we now expect life to be absolutely perfect. And if God sends a day to us where things just don't go our way and things are not absolutely perfect, what do we do? We open our mouth, we grumble, we write, we complain, and we sin against the God who's blessed us in so many ways. That's human nature, isn't it? Let me try to show you something about human nature real quickly. Just thought of this. What do you see? A dot. Now that dot represents less than 1% of the surface of that little card. But when I say what do you see, immediately your eyes are drawn to the dot, aren't they? You really don't even see the white card. 
If I ask you this, you say a dot, nobody says, well, I see a white card. Your focus is on the dot. Now, let that dot be some little area of life uh, that's kind of troublesome right now. Trouble with the car, the boss at work, problems with one of your kids, problems between you and the wife, just some negative area in your life, which is less than 1% of your life. The white area of the card represents the blessings of your life, which are more than 99% of your life. And when something goes wrong in your life, what happens? You focus on the dot. Instead of focusing on the areas of your life that are absolute blessing, which is the vast majority of our lives. And we grumble, we gripe, and we complain. I went to India in 1999, spent three and a half weeks of my life there, and I came back from India totally ashamed of myself. The Indian people have nothing. Nothing. They live in little shacks. India is one of the poorest nations on the face of this earth, and yet the Indian people who know the Lord rejoice, and they're the happiest people you can ever imagine. I was in Calcutta, walking down the street, looked down an alley, saw a garbage dump, and it was probably 18 or 20 Indian women walking through ankle-deep garbage and sifting very carefully, looking very carefully. And we both know what they were looking for, don't we? I stood there and watched that, and I said, Lord, when I get back to the States, please forgive me if I ever again complain about what you set before me to eat. The next time you go to a food bar, do you have Ryan's or Great American Buffet? Or what do you have here? Golden Corral, yeah, that's one of the top ones, okay? I know about you, but in Chattanooga, they raised the level of Golden Corral about several steps a few years ago, man. Golden Corral now is awesome, amen, man? But next time you go to Golden Corral, stop at the end of the food bar and look at the, and think about this. 92 varieties of food right here for one meal. Most of the countries in this world, if you went to them, the people in those countries, and described a food bar, they would think you were lying. Or the very least exaggerating. They could not imagine one meal with 92 varieties of food set before them. That's impossible. We take it for granted. I am saying this. God has blessed us and blessed us and blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. He's given us far more than we deserve. And I want to say, open your heart to God and ask Him to help you be a thankful person, not a complainer. When we complain against God, we sin against the God who gave us that gift. Four things we should not do. Number one, we should not use it to take God's name in vain. Secondly, we should not use it to Tell a lie. Thirdly, we must not use it to hurt someone else. And fourthly, we must not use it to complain. I'm almost out of time. Let's go to the positive. Why did God give us the gift? How can I honor him? Number one, read the verse. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Psalm 9.1. What's the first thing we should do with this gift of speech? We should use it to praise God's name. You're in Psalm 19. Flip over just a couple of pages to Psalm 9. We read verse 1. Read verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Verse 14. That it may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. My God is worthy of my praise. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross in my place and in your place is worthy of our praise. Now, I grew up in church. I've been in church almost every week of my life. I probably missed one or two weeks in my entire lifetime. As a result of going up in church, I know every hymn in the hymnal. Usually, I know the third verse. And as a result of knowing the hymns so well, I can stand here on Sunday morning in this morning's service and open my mouth and sing a song of praise to God, and yet my mind can be a thousand miles away. Am I praising God? Well, yes. Am I praising Him with my whole heart? 
Not at all. I want to challenge you as a people who know the Lord, brothers and sisters in the Lord, when you come here to, in the congregation to sing together, don't just let your mind wander as you sing. Focus on that song that you sing, a song of praise, and offer that song of praise as, a, as an offering of praise to your God. And focus on the words and give it to Him. And that song of praise actually thrills the heart of Almighty God. I have a Bible word search on my other computer, my other laptop, and it'll instantly find every word in, the, in your Bible. I put in the word praise one day. You know what happened? My computer said, too many matches. Please be more specific. Do you know why it said that? I found out why. The command to praise God's name is found in our Bible hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It is found so many times in the scripture that my lazy laptop did not even want to look up all the verses. Now, if the command to praise God's name is found hundreds and hundreds of times, what does it tell us about praise? Praise is important to our God. And by the way, praise is the way to victory. I told our people in Sunday school, if you're facing, facing temptation, sing a song of praise to God. When you're down and defeated and discouraged, sing a song of praise to God. When you're lonely or afraid, sing a song of praise to God. There is power in praise. When I graduated from Bible college, I, my, I went to a church in Phoenix, Arizona, a large church, Alice Avenue Baptist Church, one of the staff there. Probably the second week I was there, I met a lady named Betty Balliette. I was assuming Mrs. Balliette was probably 68 or 70 years old. She had crippling arthritis. You've seen arthritis. You ever seen crippling arthritis? This dear old saint of God was twisted and stooped and deformed. She had taken cortisone for so many years that her skin had become like tissue paper. She could just bump against a piece of furniture and have her skin split open like wet tissue paper. She was in pain every moment of every day of her life. This is in the 70s before they did it very often. But she went and had a hip replaced and then had the other hip replaced and then a knee replaced. And, then, and it was very, that was some of the earliest hip replacements they ever did, I believe. But the first time she had a hip replacement, went to the hospital to see her. Walked in the recovery room and you see the pain in her face and see the pain in her eyes and said, Mrs. Balliette, how you doing? And that dear lady opened her mouth and just began to bubble. And tell me how good God had been to her that day, just praising God and praising God. Not a word about the pain, not a word about the surgery, not a word, not, nothing of that. She just told me how good God had been and just went on and on, just bubbling and praising God. And I walked out and said, Lord, forgive me next time I complained about having a hangnail. And every time she had surgery, I'd go to the hospital to see her. Not to cheer her up, that was impossible. <laughs> but just to walk into her room and know that I was in the presence of God in the presence of a saint of God who lived a life of victory. In spite of her pain, she's one of the happiest people I've ever known in my life because she was a person of praise. Just before I left that ministry, I found out Mrs. Balliette wasn't 68 or 70, as I, saw, I thought. She was 42. But I tell you what, she lived a life of victory because she knew what to us to praise. Go with me to another verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, together. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 1.8. What's the second thing we should do with this gift of speech? We should use it to be a witness. Now, a witness is simply somebody that tells what they've known. If they call you as a witness in a court of law, what do they ask you to do? Just simply tell what you've seen or what you've heard. All they want you to do is tell your story. That's what a witness does. You say, Brother Ed, I haven't been to Bible college. So I don't, well, to be honest, I guess you should have at least a four-year degree to do it properly, shouldn't you? No. Some of the best soul winners I've ever met in my life were not adults. Pastor, one of the best soul winners I've ever met in my life was a little girl, third grade, eight years old, named Jessica Ryburn. Jessica Ryburn had a passion for people. 
And every couple of weeks, she was bringing a new friend to church. She said, Brother Ed, this is Amy. Amy got saved this week. She just moved to our neighborhood. She's one of my new neighbors. So she got saved this week. And I said, Amy, we're glad you're here. How'd you know about Jesus? And she said, well, Jessica showed me how. And I saw that third grade girl one person after person after person after person of the Lord. Every time she met an adult, she didn't think the adults would listen to her. So she'd give them gospel tracts. But every kid she ever met, she was witnessing to them. She had a passion for souls. Listen, if a third grader can do it, we all can, can't we? Listen, if you're afraid to be a witness, you, don't, you say, Brother, I don't know how to do it. Get some gospel tracts. You can walk up to a total stranger at Walmart, just say three words. Here, read this. Put it in their hands, and you can turn and run away afterwards if you need to, okay? But you share the gospel. Just a few weeks ago, I was in, in Detroit doing a crusade. The church ran four buses, and it was inner city kids. I mean, this was a rough crowd I was preaching to. They were tough customers. On Monday night, there's a boy sitting in the end of the row on my left, back about, about almost in front of that banner where that young man is sitting. He was 11 years old, and he was trouble from the word go. They moved him because he was so much trouble. They moved him again. They moved him at least twice during the service. And then we had the invitation. Supposedly, he came forward and got saved. And our first inclination is, oh, it wasn't real. That kid wasn't listening. But I found out that kids can be doing all sorts of things and still be listening when we don't think they are. But he came forth the invitation and supposedly got saved. On Wednesday, I preached on Calvary, preached on the cross, simply told the story of the cross. That boy was back that night. When I started the message and he realized what was coming, he turned and asked one of the workers, he said, could I get a pen? The worker kind of tentatively gave him a pen, not sure if it's going to be a pen or a weapon. You have to know these kids, okay? He said, could I get a piece of paper somewhere? And the worker found a sheet of notebook paper somewhere and gave it to that boy. That 11-year-old boy sat there during the message of Calvary. When we got through the message, he had a page and a half of notes. And he gave the pen back to his worker, and he said this, I can't wait to get home and share this with my cousin. I don't think he's ever heard it. Here's a boy who's been saved for about 48 hours. And he has a burden for somebody he knows that is not saved. Folks, I'm saying this, God gave us this gift, and one of the primary reasons God gave us the gift of communication, the gift of language, the gift of words, the gift of speech, was so that we can tell other people about Jesus. There's times you'll be mocked, there's times they won't listen, but there's times when you have the joy of leading that person to the Lord, and you'll rejoice for eternity every time you see that person walking the golden streets with you. I'm saying this, ask God the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you opportunities to be a witness to Him. Number one, we use this to praise his name. Number two, we want to use it to be a witness. And here's a third and final thing. Read the verse with me, please. Together, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Ephesians 4, 29. I want to focus on your, one, your attention on one word. That word is edifying. You know what that word means? It means to build. As in building a wall, building a building, building a church, building a school, building a hospital building. God wants you to use your gift of speech to build. God wants you to use your gift of speech to encourage others. In a congregation this size, I'm sure there's at least one person, maybe more, that right now are so discouraged and so defeated, they don't know if they want to go on or not. Would you ask God to let you come alongside that brother or sister in the Lord and so fill you with his power and his spirit that you'll be aware of their needs and come alongside that brother or that sister and, and use your gift of speech to be an encouragement? Folks, your words are powerful. And sometimes just the simplest word can lift a person's spirits. 
Several years ago, before my wife died of cancer, we were up at, up at Gatlinburg getting ready to go uh, into the Dixie Stampede. I don't know if you've ever been to the Dixie Stampede. It is awesome. It's a good, clean show. We went for the Christmas time one time, and they actually shared the gospel and told why Jesus is coming and how to be saved. And we were just amazed. And what, a, what, what an incredible show it was. But we were sitting there waiting for the show, and a man came walking by. I think he was from a church in Alabama, some church I'd been to years ago. And he stopped. He doesn't know about the cancer. He doesn't know what we're facing. He doesn't know about the discouragement we're, we're facing. But he stopped and talked with me probably for 20 seconds and twice in that conversation. He said, Brother Ed, we really love you. And he walked away, I'm sure not knowing that God had used him to lift my spirits. Your gift of speech is powerful. Young person, how long has it been since you tried to use your words to be an encouragement to your mom or your dad? How long has it been since you deliberately said something to your pastor to encourage his heart or your pastor's wife? How long has it been since you said a word of encouragement to your kids' Sunday school teachers and just thank them for being the, the, the Sunday school teacher that's touched the heart of your child? I'm just saying this. We breeze through life just focusing on ourselves and there's so many needs around us and, and God can use us in so many ways just with our words. I've got three kids. My daughter, Rebecca, is 32 years old now. Her middle name is Joy and she's aptly named. She is a Joy. Even as a teenager, I mean, she'd be going to Walmart. She's up at the front door. Hey, I'm off to Walmart. Hey, Dad, I love you. Very seldom do I ever have a phone conversation with that young lady without hearing those words. What an encouragement. Every dad needs a girl like Rebecca, believe me. I've got two boys. Steve now is 29. Philip is, is 26. And during the teen years, they just wouldn't say those words. We, my wife and I said that repeatedly to them, make sure they knew they were loved. But the, the guys just wouldn't say the words. I think it was just Steve, and I think Philip was following Steve's lead, honestly. Rebecca would say those words, but Steve wouldn't. And neither would Philip. Then one day, Steve bought a car. My kids will save up. They'll pay cash for a car, and then they start saving for the next car. And you live debt-free that way. It's the, it's the way to live. But Steve had just bought a brand new car. Not a brand new. He bought a two-year-old Saturn, paid cash for it. And I'm doing a meeting in Arkansas by myself that, that day, uh, and, and Steve calls me long distance, and we probably talked for 20 minutes, and I was telling him just different things, how to take care of the car, do the maintenance on the car and all this. Before he hung up, he said five words. He didn't say it in years and years and years. Hey, Dad, I love you. I hung up on the phone. I, I had a good day. I had a good week. I had a good month. <laughs> Because my son Steve, who I love with all my heart, has simply said something from his heart. Hey, Dad, I love you. I'm saying this. Your gift of speech is powerful. Surrender to God. Allow him to use you in a special way to be an encouragement to those around us. We're living in a wicked world. There's, these are dark days. There's a lot of discouraged, defeated people around us. And God can use our gift of speech. Three ways. Number one, to praise his name. Number two, to be a witness. And number three, to encourage others. Let me close with a very short, but very powerful verse from, from the book of Proverbs. Read it with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The first time you look at that verse, you must say, well, wait a minute, that's an ex exaggeration. Death? Life? Is death in the power of the tongue? There was a man by the name of Adolf in, the, in early Germany, in the early 1930s, who one day, in effect, gave his entire being to the Satan. To, and and the, the devil used the tongue of Adolf, Hitler, to stir an entire nation to hatred. With results that in the next few years, nearly 12 million innocent people lost their lives. Is death in the power of the tongue? Oh, yes, it is. I read a story of a young man by the name of Dwight who one night knelt in his kitchen, beside his kitchen table, and said, God, if it's possible, the best I know how, I give myself entirely to you. Please use me. 
And in doing so, Dwight gave his tongue to God. And I'm told that God used the tongue of Dwight L. Moody in the next few years to bring nearly one million people to salvation through Jesus Christ because, yes, life is in the power of the tongue. Your gift of speech is powerful. How will you use it? Would you bow your heads? I want to ask you a couple of pointed questions, and I'm going to turn the service over to your pastor. If you're here this morning and don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would encourage you to, to allow a counselor to show you from God's Word how to get saved. It's the most incredible thing in this world to receive Jesus, to know that your sins are forgiven. It is awesome. But here's the first question. I wonder how about this morning say, Brother Ed, I have misused my gift of speech in one or more of those four ways. Taking God's name in vain, telling a lie, hurting somebody else, or complaining. I have misused God's gift in one or more of those four ways. I am asking for His forgiveness this morning. Can I see your hand? I'm asking God for His forgiveness. Thank you, folks. Second question. I wonder how many this morning say, Brother Ed, the best I know how. I want to give my gift of speech to God. I'm going to ask Him to use me to be a person of praise. I'm going to ask Him to use me to be a witness. I'm going to ask Him to use me to be an encourager. I want to give my gift of speech. I want God to use me in those three ways. Could I see your hand if that's your heart? I'm asking God to use me. Thank you, folks. I'm going to ask pastor to come and take this service, take the invitation, and I'm asking you simply to do what God wants you to do. If God speaks to your heart, please obey Him. If you're here this morning and don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would encourage you to come. Let the counselor show you how to be saved. It is incredible. Pastor. With every head bowed still, every eye closed, <clears throat> maybe you've never spoken to the Lord Jesus Christ and invited Him into your life as your Savior. We can go through our entire lives living, but never really alive. I want to encourage you, if you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life, to be your Savior, your Lord, to take you to heaven one day, to be with Him, I want to encourage you, when the music begins to play in just a moment, and we stand for the invitation that you just make your way into the closest aisle, Come up to the front, meet me there, and I'll have someone take a Bible and show you how you can know from the Word of God how to be saved, forgiven, and have a home in heaven. Maybe you're a child of God today. How are you using the tongue that God gave you? Is it a plus or a minus? Plus or minus? You say, well, it pretty much leans toward the plus. You realize it only takes one negative thing. And then it takes, I mean, multiple positives to equal the one negative. I want to encourage you today just to let the Lord speak to your heart in the stillness of this moment. And show you your great need. Father, in this moment of invitation, we pray for those that are in need of Jesus Christ. May they not delay one moment. But as soon as the music begins to play, as soon as we begin to stand to our feet, may they step right into that aisle and make their way forward. May they allow someone to take the Word of God and actually see it for themselves. To take those precious promises and not only see them, but then, Father, be able to apply them to their life. Lord, we're so thankful for the hope you give us, of eternal life and a better life in this world. But Lord, we ask, dear God, that you would just be with every believer as well. May we do somewhat of an assessment right now. 
evaluate our own tongue, our lives, our speech. Maybe it's a wife that we need to even apologize to or a husband. Maybe we need to get on track by first confessing to both you and that person we've hurt or harmed. And then, Lord, begin to take steps to be an encourager. Father, help us now, Lord, not to see just the dot, but to see the white. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed as the music begins to play.